go. So we've been talking about stewardship. The very first uh, conversation we had on stewardship uh, was that stewardship and what are tied totally together? Worship, Worship, right? Stewardship and worship are tied completely together. Why? Because first we acknowledge that all things are the Lord's, right? Psalm 24, the very beginning, the earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. And so stewardship, we know that we own nothing. So stewardship is giving back to God what is already his And as the creation, God is the creator, we as creation, acknowledging him as God, giving back to him what is rightfully his for his glory is worship. So worship and stewardship are intimately tied together. Then last week, last week, uh, we kind of crossed the threshold specifically about tithing. Uh, we, and I was glad that Pat reiterated a lot of the, this was some of the things that we said a lot the same, which was good, that tithing in an, uh, is not actually uh, found uh, as a command in the New Testament. We looked at the history of Old Testament tithing, but we talked about why is it important to give to local church, because though the word tithing is not in there, there is tons and tons and tons of passages uh, about financial stewardship and about giving to the church. And we boiled it down to, now this is oversimplification, okay? So this is oversimplification, but we boiled it down to really two things, two reasons why we give um, to local church. Number one is to support those in ministry, as Paul spoke about. And then number two, we read in the book of Acts, uh, and Paul reemphasizes, um, we do that uh, in support of the saints, meaning in support of one another. So as we give into the local church, that, that money should also um, be used to support uh, those in, uh, in, within the church. We take care of each other. Okay? So those were the two uh, main reasons that we give. Uh, how do we give? We talked about this last week. You guys remember? Give cheerfully, give consistently, and give as the Lord prospers you. Those are the three ways that we said uh, we should give. And so today, we're going to kind of jump off of that, and we're going to talk today about giving versus taking. And what I want to do, we talked about tithing and some specific financial stewardship. We've talked uh, in general uh, the week before that. What I want to try to do this morning is speak about what does it look like to live a giving lifestyle, Okay, so not specifically just talking about finances and material things, though those things are going to be included. What does it look like to give to live a giving uh, a giving lifestyle? Because if you're not careful, one of the things we're going to look at, uh, we're going to draw this out here in just a minute. But I've rambled so much, we got to pray and focus again. But one of the things we're going to look at um, is that to walk in the spirit is to be a giver; to walk in the flesh is to be a taker. Okay, so that's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's just ask God to, uh, to do what only he can do, um, which is by his Holy Spirit. For believers, that Holy Spirit is present in you, and that Holy Spirit is present for many different purposes, and one of those purposes is to reveal truth, uh, truth as it is according to God, not truth as it is according to culture or truth as it is according to just your circumstance, but absolute and real truth. Isn't that good? that you have a source for absolute truth that doesn't waver, that was the same yesterday as when you came in the room this morning. Absolute truth is possible by the Holy Spirit. So we're going to ask God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to reveal to us truth uh, as it is to his, uh, according to his word and according to the kingdom of heaven. So let's just ask God to do that. Father, we come to you and thank you uh, that we do, that we have a place where we can uh, rely on that regardless of what we came in with this morning, your truth didn't change. 
Your character didn't change. Your nature didn't change. Your love for us, your mercy, your forgiveness, your grace, your judgment. God, none of those things changed based on circumstances. You are unwavering. And your promise to us is that you, by your spirit, would reveal truth. That you would reveal truth in us for the purpose of glorifying yourself, for the purpose of drawing out the character of your son in us. And God, what an enormous gift that you've given. The presence of the Holy Spirit in each believer. We thank you for that gift. And we pray that this morning we would not take that gift lightly. That we would recognize what an amazing thing it is to have the presence of God living in us. And that we would seek you for transformation. That we would allow you to do in us exactly what you want to do this morning. So I just ask, and just for, for me personally, and then just for us corporately, that we would put down our agenda this morning. Whatever we came in with, even if it was a righteous agenda, that we would have said, God, this is what we want you to do. That we would just lay that down at your feet, and that we would pray, God, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to say, whatever you want to have in me, you can have it. You can do it. You can say it. Uh, God, we want to hear you. Uh, we want to be changed by you. We ask all this in the name of Jesus, who died and was raised again, and who from his position on high, gave us the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Giving versus taking. Go to Philippians chapter 4. Now, I'm going to test you. I don't have any fancy um, uh, display up here for body, soul, spirit. Do you all remember it at this point? All right. That's what we're doing next week, so that's good. You should respond. All right, so, but basically, here's the deal. I know you know body, soul, spirit. You've got it by memory. Um, do you know what the flesh is? Somebody tell me what the flesh is. Skirt, body and soul, okay. That's good. Your flesh is your body and soul. Basically, so give me the elements of it. So body being your physical body and your soul being your mind, will, and emotions. Your flesh is you, right? Your flesh is you. You. Now, we all know, and uh, again, I'm just going over things quickly, but I know you know this. Uh, we all know that your, uh, that your flesh is all that you had in sin nature. There was a void in you. The Spirit of God did not live in you before you were saved. There was a void in you. It's, it's incredible. You hear people talk about before they were saved that they're missing something. You ever heard somebody talk that way? I just felt like there was this void in my life. It was like I was missing something. The reason that they say that is because they were created to be filled by the Spirit of God. And because of sin nature, because they haven't come to Jesus for salvation, there is literally a death and a void in them. And it's not until uh, they believe on Jesus for salvation that that old man is crucified and buried in that new life. The presence of the Holy Spirit uh, comes alive um, in them. And so it's a very real thing. So before you were saved, all you had was your flesh. Now, here's something tricky about your flesh. Your flesh, uh, and some of this is, again, pardon the review. Your flesh is, it has one goal. That one goal is Self-preservation. The main aim of your flesh is to look out for and take care of you. Anybody remember that? Yeah, anybody know that battle? You still fight that battle as a Christian. You still have a flesh. Uh, scripture tells us that our flesh is set against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. But when we live according to the flesh, regardless of how good we think we're doing in the moment, our flesh is only, only, only going to seek self. 
It's going to seek to protect you. It's going to seek to provide for you. It's going to seek to glorify you, make you feel good. That is what your flesh does. And so I know you're going, okay, why are we talking about flesh and spirit when we talk about, uh, when we talk about uh, stewardship? The reason is, you in Philippians 4? The reason is because Paul gives us very simple instruction when it comes to the flesh and the spirit. He says if you'll, and this is the book of Galatians, he says if you walk in the spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. And we talked about how that worship and stewardship are intimately tied together. To walk in the Spirit is to live a lifestyle of worship, surrendering your will to God's will and glorifying Him in everything. So if we will live according to the Spirit, if we will walk according to the Spirit, we will live a lifestyle of giving. If we walk according to the flesh, because primarily we know this, that the flesh seeks to self-satisfy. So if we live according to the flesh, we will only be Uh, And maybe this isn't the greatest word, but we will only be takers, meaning we're only going to look at at resources and people and situations and circumstances. We're only going to look at those things as opportunities to gain for ourselves. That, did you know that even in moments where you're giving something away, if you're giving something away according to your flesh, you're actually taking something from that moment? You're actually seeking. So if, I, if in my flesh I decide, you know what would, you know what would be great? I'm going to go and help this, uh, or I'm going to go donate $100 to the Red Cross. Do you know that if that's a flesh moment, that as I give that $100, what I'm taking is I'm taking for myself the belief that I just somehow proved adequate before God, that I somehow uh, am worthy or special or something significant uh, before God, that I'm actually, even in that moment of handing something over, that if it's about my flesh, I'm taking and trying to satisfy something in myself. Only when we walk in the Spirit can we be absolutely void of selfishness, um, and that's because that's a relinquishing of our will to God. So look at what Paul says, and, and okay, you're in Philippians 4. We've been there for a while, sorry. Look at verse 10. It says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help from my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit of that increase to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received uh, from Epaphroditus the uh, gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And you, uh, sorry, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Notice what he says at the very beginning of what we read. Look at verse, uh, look at verse 12. He says, uh, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. 
In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. That's where, he, that's where this phrase uh, that we quote so often, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Here's what living according to the Spirit allows you to live in. What Paul just described is this understanding, that there will be seasons of my life that there is increase. There will be seasons where, in terms of material things, in terms of, uh, of circumstance, there may be seasons where I'm experiencing what I would say is more than I need, an abundance, right? He says, I've learned to live in those. There's also moments where I've been hungry. There's also moments where what I have has been uh, maybe not what I would look at and say is necessarily adequate for a need. Yet I have learned to be, he uses this word, I have learned to be content. Whether in plenty or in hunger, I've learned to be content. How in the world could he get to that place to make that statement? Because Paul goes through, I mean, you're talking about a guy that has been through the highest of highs and the absolute lowest of lows. He lived in, uh, he was taken in by some believers and lived in absolute luxury and then in, with, within weeks would be beaten and thrown out uh, and have nothing, right? I mean, just highs and lows. And he said, I found this balance. I found this ability that regardless of where I was at, I could be content. Because here's what happens. As we walk according to the Spirit, we understand that God adequately provides for us in every possible way. Living according to the Spirit allows us to live in the provision that God has brought, not the provision according to man. To live according to the Spirit recognizes that God is the one who has called me into this task. God is the one who has saved me. God is the one who has filled me with His Spirit. God is the one that has asked me to be obedient to Him. God is the one that's asked me to to go and preach to these people or these. God is the one that's asked me to share the gospel. And God supplies for every single need. He even says it. He even turns it around and says, thank you for giving. Thank you for helping me. And he turns it around and says, uh, what does he say in 19? And my God will supply every need need of yours according to what? According to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Living according to the Spirit allows us to live in the rich provision of God. And I don't mean rich provision, meaning that if you say yes to God, you're going to get rich. I mean that God is infinitely rich. God is infinitely resourceful. And God has promised to give absolute perfect, perfect provision for our lives as believers. So what do we get to do? What do we do when we live in plenty? What do we do when we have these moments of drastic increase? If we're walking according to the Spirit, we're content regardless of if our circumstances rise, and we continue to give even out of that plenty. But then what happens on the day you turn around and you're hungry? What happens with the, the day where you turn around and you don't have a job, and the, the situations of your life are different than they were maybe then in a season of increase? We don't waver. We stay content. Why? Because we know, we know absolutely that God is going to bring provision, that he has provided. And so we continue to be givers even in situations of lack because we're, because we're content. Now here's the opposite. Go to Matthew 6. And I want you to notice this. Paul says uh, there, go on your way to Matthew 6, he does say, I learned to be content. You know, I think, that there, I think that's definitely worth stating because 
this, this learning to be content really is, it really is learning. Uh, I don't think that you're going to go, oh, the Bible says to be content. Bring, I'm content, right? I think it, there's a drastic uh, learning curve here as we give ourselves to God in different seasons of your life. You recognize that God is going to provide. He is providing, and it's, you learn uh, in the midst of obedience. It's not something that just turns on. So I love that he says, I learned to be obedient. Okay, so you're in Matthew 6. Sorry, you beat me there. Okay, Matthew 6. Look at verse 25. We're going to look at, at some instruction here. This is obviously from, um, uh, from the words of Jesus here. Sermon on the Mount, living a kingdom lifestyle. He says this, and you've, you've all heard this before. Don't tune out, okay? You, you've, you've heard these passages before. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow it is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? But the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, there's certainly, there's certainly a lot there, but what I want to look at is the opposite of walking in the Spirit. So obviously, as Jesus is speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, he's teaching us what it looks like to live a lifestyle according to the kingdom of God. He's teaching us what it looks like to live and walk according to the Spirit. And so what is the opposite of contentment? We just saw Paul walking according to the Spirit. He learned to be content in all of these things. Jesus warns us against the opposite of contentment, which is what? Worrying and anxiety and anxiousness, right? Now, why would he give this warning? Why would he say, whoa, 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 let me make sure that you hear me. Do not be anxious about anything. He gives this warning because of the great battle between our spirit and our flesh. And we just saw for Paul that to live according to the spirit is to be content regardless of the circumstances. The opposite of that is anxiousness. Now, why would walking according to the flesh produce anxiousness? Because what did I tell you that the flesh wants to do? The flesh wants to self-seek. Again, just think back to yesterday. Anybody have a moment in your flesh? You may have a thought that was in your flesh. What was it about? What was it mainly concerning? It was mainly concerning you. It was about taking care of you. Why does living according to the flesh produce, an produce anxiousness? Because living according to the flesh says, I am the one that has to provide and care for me. I'm the one that has to sustain my life. I'm the one that has to give purpose and meaning. And so the moment that the, uh, that the burden of provision shifts from the power of God into my hands, the moment I take that burden of provision and I go, okay, now I'm the one that has to provide what is produced. 
anxiousness. Anybody ever lived an anxious day in your life? Anxiousness, you know what's a close twin of anxiousness? Panic. Fear. These are in the family of anxiousness. Why why are these things related? Because I begin to be anxious when I look around and go, okay, now I've got to provide for myself. Even in moments of great increase, what is the thought in the back of my mind? This might all go away someday, so I need more, 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 more. And as I live according to the flesh, I become a taker. You with me? You guys understanding this? So as I live according to the flesh, I become a taker. Fear is produced. What happens if all of this goes away? Anxiousness is produced when we accept the burden of of providing for ourselves when that burden shifts from the Lord. But I want you to notice something. He he gives this example in verse 26. He says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. Anybody ever watched birds before? Oh, some bird watchers. Cool. How many of you have ever seen an earthworm jump into a bird's nest? No? Okay. Uh, how many of you... Well, what else do birds eat? I don't know. I just <laughs> Seed? How many of you have just seen seed like poured out from heaven into their nest? Nobody seen that? Okay. I don't know. That's just... I don't know. Creative miracle? I don't know what God... So, look... We, we don't see these things, right? Yet God gives us this example. He says, look at the birds. They don't, they're not anxious. They don't, they don't try to, uh, he, he says, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. I think a lot of times we hear that and we go, great, I don't have to do anything. Don't be anxious means I don't, I don't have to do anything. Is this what he's saying? Is Jesus saying that the burden of work in order for you to trust and believe in me You don't have to do a thing. There is no work required of you. Be careful. He's saying that, and he's also not saying that. He's saying that in that you in and of yourself can provide absolutely nothing that you need. You can do nothing to bring provision for what you need. All the provision will be brought by me. However, we look out into nature. He gives us this example of of birds, and what are they doing? They're taking what has been given, right? Does a bird work? My goodness, they work, right? Have you ever, you ever watched them prepare a nest or feed their family? Well, that sounds kind of lame. Like, but you know what I'm saying? They work. But their work is done in the confines of the provision that God has given. The, the bird doesn't believe that it has to go somehow and produce seed. It simply gains what has been produced. It it lives off of what is produced. The bird doesn't go and create earthworm families. Simply grabs the ones off the ground. The work of the bird is under the provision of God. So this is not a, a, a command from Jesus that says, great, you don't have to do anything to which some of you dropped out of college, right? I'm just kidding. That was a joke. I got some really weird looks. Don't, don't read this and go, good, I, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to, I don't have to provide anything. But what you are released from, you are released from creating the provision. The provision comes in the Lord. You're, you're, you do have a responsibility of work in stewarding the provision that God gives, but you can't create it. See, the moment that I begin to have to create provision, I get anxious. Because that's a difficult task for creation, to create something, Right? Right? 
But if I can believe, if I can settle down in what Jesus says here and, and go, okay, all that I need will be provided, then I can work hard with no anxiousness. Then I can put my hands to the task that God has asked me. Then I can become a good steward and I can work as I am obedient to the Spirit of God without having to produce anything and I get to work in absolute freedom. That's why the birds of the air, that's why he speaks of the plants and the the birds of the air because they're in absolute freedom because they have not shifted to believe that they have to create provision for themselves. They simply live in the provision that God has given. You with me? You guys good? So here's the question. Do you trust the process of provision? Or are you still trying to create it? Do you trust the process of provision? Do you believe that as God has called you holy, as God has asked you to live like his son, as God has asked you to make disciples of all nations, as God has asked you men, as God has asked you to be a spiritual leader in your families, uh, as God has asked you to do all of these things, all these things that he's commanded and asked, do you believe that his provision is adequate to do what he's asked you to do? Do you believe that the supply of heaven is enough? Do you believe that when God gave us the Holy Spirit, he gave us absolute provision to do and to be who he called us to be? Or are you seeking to create provision outside of what God has already given? Are you seeking to be holy on your own standards by doing uh, whatever the list you've created for yourself is? Are you seeking to to, uh, please God by the work that you can do? Or do you believe that the provision that God has given is enough? The test of this is where in your life is anxiousness. Anxiousness will exist in areas that you believe the burden of provision is on you. Freedom will exist even in great pressure. Because some of you guys are in moments of great pressure to, to uh, finish a work, or some of, or some of you that's school, some of you that's in a, in a job, some of you that is coming down to literally the next test, there's great pressure. Well, provision, accepting the provision of God and walking in the Spirit allows you to function amidst great pressure without anxiousness being produced. Some of you need to hear that. Because some of you have allowed pressure to create anxiousness, and that means that the burden of provision is now on you. God will do what he said he's going to do. We've got to learn to live under those promises. The flesh will tell us that we have to provide for ourselves and others outside of the economy of the kingdom. So here's what Jesus did. Now, Jesus did some uh, interesting, uh, interesting things with his disciples. I love the way that this worked. Uh, he he kind of would say something and then say, okay, go do it. So go to Matthew 10. He did a lot of, a lot of cool stuff at the hands of the disciples, but is, uh, I believe is aimed at teaching them, at things happening in their hands so they could see the power of obedience. And here's what he does in Matthew chapter 10. Listen to this. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them, listen to what he did, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. List the names of the disciples. And it says these 12 in verse 5, Uh, Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Now, 
right there, here's what we do the first day of discipleship school. Okay? We look at you and we say, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. Go. I'm just kidding. We don't do that. What happens if he first, if that's the first thing he says? What do they have to come up with? The authority to do it, right? If Jesus just looks at these disciples and says, heal the sick, cast out demons, write the list, then they all of a sudden have to go, okay, uh, how am I going to do that? Because I don't have authority over sickness. I don't have authority over the demise. I don't, I mean, where am I going to get, where am I going to get that? What's the first thing he says? Look at verse 1, and he called to him, the, his 12 disciples, look at this, and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. The first thing that Jesus does is he gives provision for the task. Now, I'm not saying it always works this way, that it comes provision and then asking of obedience, but I do know that it works this way. Every single time that God asks us to do something, provision is already there in the kingdom of heaven. You're never asked to generate any power on your own. You're never asked to do anything on your own. Authority has already come. If God brings a word, says, Marie, go pray over the sick. And not just any sick, there is somebody next to you. I want to heal them of this disease. Pray. Then you've got to know that the power and the authority over that disease has already been given and it's released in obedience. Are you with me? He doesn't look at you and say, Kyle, go heal the sick, and I hope you're a good doctor. You've got to study a while, because good luck. You've got to gain some authority over this disease. And I'm not just talking about sickness. I'm talking about every area of our life. If God calls you to live a life of purity, if God calls you away, and I say calls you away as if it's going to happen, it has already happened, as God has called us away from sexual immorality, know this, that the provision and the power and the authority over sexual immorality has already been given. It's not something that you have to earn, and it's not something that you're going to gain. It's already been given. And he says, here's authority. Now go do what I say. But listen to what he, listen to what he tells them in verse 9. Oh, sorry. Go back to uh, the last part of 8. He says, you received, I love this, you received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. In whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. He equips and tests the 12 in absolute simplicity. What is he teaching them? He's teaching them to rely on what he's given. He's, he makes it absolutely simple. He says, take nothing for yourself. I don't think we find in that passage that that means that we should all be monks and live in the middle of nowhere. But I do think we find in that passage the strict instruction of Jesus, do not seek to provide for yourself. 
do what I've called you to do only under the provision that I've given you. This ought to be tremendously freeing for some of you. Because some of you are working very, very, very hard to do what God has asked you to do, but you're trying to produce the provision for it. You know how hard it is just to be obedient? Why are you adding the burden of providing for your own obedience? Look, our flesh is a strong enough foe that it is difficult enough for us to wake up and go, okay, my only job today is to say yes to the Spirit of God. That's enough. Quit adding more work. Yet we've added, and I also have to provide authority. I also have to provide power and freedom and authority over sin. And I've also got to provide all of these things for myself. And no wonder you're anxious because you're trying to do what only God can do and only God can give. You guys okay? I'm going to jump around a little bit here. So in life groups, you may cover some things we haven't talked about here, but I want to get to this point. The last piece of this is, now this is one of these kind of funny kingdom things. And this is just as I see it. So it's not like, yeah, this is just how I see it, kind of a paradox of the kingdom. I think we're only going to steward well. If we want to be givers living according to the Spirit, we're only going to steward well what we've already given away. Stay with me. Stay with me here. I want you to to see this. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 1. You only steward well what you have already given away. Here's what I'm saying. I think that you're in trouble... I think that you're in trouble if you're waiting for, let's just use finances, it's easy. If you're waiting for financial provision to ask God what portion you're going to give away, if you're waiting for, the, for that moment to come, I think you're in trouble. I think it's going to get real sticky the moment that any kind of funds come into your hands because if you haven't already given everything away, then you're going to ask questions when it comes right? If I were to ask you all in this room, who would give away the, the, uh, the car that I'm about to give you? Some of you, th- well, I got, whew. I don't have a, friends, I don't have a car. It would be easy, it would be way easier right now to say I would give it away. Why? Because it's not in your hands. It'd be way easier to give it away now than the moment I put your key, the key in your hands. Because the moment I put your key in your hands, your flesh is going to say, oh my goodness, now what could we do with this? No more biking to Kroger, right? <laughs> right? On a junior bike, right? That I, you know, no, no more. Like, all of a sudden, you begin to rationalize the reasons why you should keep whatever comes into your hands. And what I'm saying is, you've got to give everything away before it actually comes in your hands. That's why I believe Jesus calls to absolutely and completely die to ourselves the moment that we trust in him salvation. You realize that's the, that's the commitment. We've already given everything away. If you begin to micromanage it and sort it out and go, okay, I wonder what I'll actually give away and what I'll actually keep. If you'll go ahead and give it away, you'll be a lot freer to keep it. If you go ahead and give that car away today, then when the key comes in your hands and God says, that's me providing for you, keep it, you get to go, oh my gosh, and you get to receive it as a gift. You with me? Why get to receive it as a gift? Because you already gave it away. The moment that you begin to possess those things 
is the moment that you lose the ability or make the ability to give very difficult. So look at 1 Samuel. Y'all, are you all already there? Somebody read verse 9 through 11. It'll take me a minute. 9 through 11 of 1 Samuel, chapter 1. Is it on the screen? Here we go. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. So that sounds a little bit funny, but basically this is a woman, this is a family committed to the Lord. She is in uh, she is in the presence of God, and she is pleading him for a son. But this claim that she makes, if you'll just give me a son, she says, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And she says, and no razor shall touch his head. I talked about this at 24-7 back when we were at Kennedy Auditorium. But she's giving uh, her son over to the Lord and already making a Nazarite vow. The Nazarite vow was a vow of consecration for a period of time to the Lord of extreme consecration to the Lord, being set aside uh, and for, the, for the work of the Lord. And it was a, part of that vow was that no razor would touch, uh, would touch their head. That was part of the, uh, the outward appearance of the Nazarite vow. So what has she done? Has she given the son that she has already over to the Lord? She's given what she, already, what she doesn't have. She's given away what she doesn't have. And then watch this. Uh, go to 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 24. We've got to hurry. I'm going to close with this. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh my Lord, as you live, my Lord... I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. I believe what you saw in chapter, uh, in, the, in verse 9 through 11, was the giving away of a son which she didn't have, which enabled her to give away the son which God did bring. And here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying you go make deals with the Lord, and I don't think you need to grab that from that passage, that you make deals with God. God, if you'll just give me this, I promise I'll give it away. What I, what I see here, though, is that if we give away everything we have before we even have it, then the moment that it comes into your hands, you can do one of two things. You can either keep it as the Lord prompts, or you can give it away as the Lord prompts. If you've already given it away, then when it comes into your hands, it creates a question. And the question is, God, have, is this provision that you have brought into me, is this for me, for my home, for my life? Am I to keep this and steward this as provision in my home, or is this to give away? But most of the time, if we haven't already given everything over to the Lord, that when that provision comes into our hands, we don't ask that question. We've already assumed that it's ours to keep, and we're poor stewards of that which God wants us to give away. Are you with me? Does it make sense? So what do you not have that God's asking you to give away? Think about that. What do you not have that God has asked you to give away? 
Don't think of just possessions. What do you not have that God is asking you to give away? The answer is kind of, obviously there are going to be some specifics in your life, but I think at the end of it you'll see, God has asked me to give everything away. That at the end of the day, the answer to that question in its fullest nature can really only be every thought, every action, every piece of finances, every item that will come into my possession, everything is the Lord's. And we wind up right back in the very same spot that we started, that the earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. And to be proper stewards, we have to live in that reality. That's what creates givers, not takers. Here's the shame. You can live your whole life as a taker and realize you never actually possessed it in the first place. It's all his anyway. And there will be a day where your eyes will be opened and it will all go back to him and what you thought was yours will be taken. There is no taker. It's all his. Right? Let's pray. God, bring clarity to this message. I just, I don't know. I see some sleepy eyes. I see some maybe confusion, but God, you bring clarity. And we just ask that you do that by the power of your spirit. I just pray that we would be people who would give everything over to you right now today. In Jesus' name, amen.